0: Amen. Good morning church. Good morning. Today we're going to be thinking and finishing our series called Unexpected Heroes. We've been looking through some of the Bible's unexpected heroes and often there's this arch of a narrative where people kind of run and hide or do something terrible but then God uses them and they step up to the challenge and do something good. Today we're looking at Jonah. There is no arch. It just gets worse and worse. Jonah gets worse and worse. He gets it wrong and then more wrong. But he is an unexpected hero. We know that Jonah was a prophet. We know we have his book in the Bible. We've got the book of Jonah from chapter one to four. And you can read the whole story on page nine to eight in the church Bibles. And I really encourage you guys to go and read this story of Jonah because the closer you get to it, the more you'll get from it. And we see that Jonah is really unexpected because he's grumpy, he's rude, he's stubborn, he's ungracious. And all we really remember about him was when he had a whale of a time in a big fish. I'm so sorry. I tried to edit that out and I just couldn't do it. The spirit just made me keep it in there. In fact, he's such, um, yeah, and then the only time that other than those things that we remember, the only other time he's mentioned in the Bible is in 2 Kings, chapter 14, where Jonah goes and he prophesies to a king of Israel, King Jeroboam the second. he's a terrible king, and Jonah prophesies, you're going to win a war and get all this land and God's going to give it to you, and he has a total prophecy fail. Because God then has to send Amos, another prophet, to rebuke the prophecy of Jonah and say to King Jeroboam, you're not going to have that land, you're not going to win that war, and you're a horrible king. Jonah, what are you doing? Already we're suspicious of Jonah. But the joy is that God can use Jonah, even though he gets things wrong. That's good news for us. Even if you feel like you've stepped out and failed or spoken out and got it wrong when you were trying to speak for God, I bet you've never prophesied to a king about the future of a foreign nation and got it wrong. That's on a big scale. But the story of Jonah is an encouragement to keep stepping out, keep speaking, because Jonah shows us that God loves to use people who've got it wrong before. Jonah is still a hero, however unexpected, because God in his unending grace, uses him to do incredible things. In spite of how Jonah behaves, God always shows grace. And today I want to talk and look at how Jonah runs from God's grace, rages at God's grace, and ultimately how we can be encouraged to receive God's grace. And I believe that God longs to use each of us to do incredible things. Through Jonah's story, he's reminding us to be bold, to be obedient, to come each day to the throne of grace. Jonah's story continues after his national pro- yeah, his national prophecy problems. And we read in Jonah 1 that God calls him to speak up against the evil city of Nineveh. And now Nineveh is the capital of the Assyrian Empire and the Assyrians are like the superpower of the world. And they're the enemy of Israel. In fact, they've already attacked northern Israel and taken most of them prisoner. It's a brutal place. The Assyrian leaders used to boast about making pillars out of the heads of their enemies. So God commands Jonah to go east to Nineveh. But Jonah runs as far west as possible to the city of Tarshish. The man of God running from God. So Jonah boards a ship and he goes down to the bottom of the ship to have a sleep. And the pagan sailors who are guiding the ship suddenly find themselves in the grip of this great storm, which they find that God has sent to wake Jonah up, to wake him up, literally, but also metaphorically. Wake up, Jonah. And the sailors are scared for their lives, but they realize that something supernatural is going on. And so they throw dice. They play a game. Have you ever played Yahtzee? Me and my wife love the game Yahtzee. It's a dice game. They play a dice game, and through that dice game, somehow find out Jonah is the cause of this storm. It's a special dice game. I'm not sure what's going on there. And so they wake Jonah up, and they bring him on deck. And Jonah says, oh, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm the prophet of God, a Hebrew of the one true God, the God who made the land and the sea, this powerful sovereign God that Jonah's running from. How often do we claim God when it makes us look good? even if we're running from his commands. Jonah explains God to the sailors, who by now are terrified. And the sailors say, what can we do to stop this storm? And Jonah says, throw me overboard. And first it seems like a kind of selfless act, but really it's even more selfish, because he's still trying to go his own way. He's still trying to run from God and not go to Nineveh. And the sailors reluctantly throw Jonah overboard, and he starts to descend to the depths until he is swallowed by a great fish, which we read was sent by God to rescue Jonah from drowning. Even when Jonah was giving up, God doesn't give up. God doesn't give up, not on Jonah, not on us. He pursues us to the depths until we will see him in the heights. And so Jonah, in the belly of a fish, prays the smelliest prayer he has ever prayed, and he says, sorry, although he doesn't actually say sorry. He says one of those prayers that you know children. Uh, he says one of those apologies that children say to adults when they think that they're being totally unreasonable. You know, one of those grumpy, sorry, prayers. The ones that my mum would always reply to by saying, "Only say it if you mean it." So Jonah kind of says sorry, but doesn't really. And he, what he does do is he says, "Thank you, God, for never leaving me, and I will obey you now." And we read in chapter two, verse ten of one of my favourite verses in the Bible. The Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out onto dry land. Yes. And again, God commands Jonah, go to Nineveh. Jonah makes a long journey to Nineveh. He mumbles a few words to the city. He says, yep, 40 days and the city will be overthrown. That's all. You can feel the reluctance, the grumpiness of Jonah as he hopes that they don't hear or respond to this warning, to this offer of grace by God. There's no grand prophetic moment. He's such an unexpected hero. But Jonah's eight words work. The whole city turns to God. The king repents and declares a national time of fasting and calling out to God in prayer. Everyone cries out in prayer. The Bible even says that from king to cow they fasted. I don't know how you make a cattle fast, but they were doing it. There was that much grace in the city, that much revival. And God sees their repentance and he relents from what was coming to the city. He shows them grace. And Jonah responds by being annoyed. He's enraged. He sits outside the city that's just seeing great revival come to it and shouts at God and says, I knew it. I knew it. He says in chapter 4, John, Jonah says, I knew you were a gracious God. I knew you were slow to anger and abounding in love. I just knew it's so like you to love people. It's such a strange thing to be annoyed about, isn't it? I know you're so loving, slow to anger. Jonah, he's sitting in the sun, blazing down on him, grumpy outside the city. And so God meets him again with grace. And grows for him a plant that shades him from the sun. And then God sends a worm that eats the plant. And Jonah gets even angrier, even more dramatic. And says, well, what's the point anymore? Just let me die. I don't even have my plant. (laughs) And God says, why are you so angry about a plant that you had nothing to do with and was only here for a day? And yet you care nothing for the 120,000 people in that great city of Nineveh. The book of Jonah ends on this cliffhanger where we as the audience are supposed to ask, does Jonah ever get grace? God is trying to teach Jonah the joy of grace as he gives chance, chance after chance. Jonah is commanded. He runs. God shows him grace in a fish. He's commanded again. He goes but rages and God shows him grace in a plant. Jonah has two key responses to the grace of God. He runs and then he rages. And the narrative is meant to raise in us the questions about when we might do the same, when we might run or rage when God's grace is shown. Firstly, Jonah runs. And Jonah runs not because he's scared, but because he doesn't understand grace. We find out that he's annoyed that God would show love to Nineveh. And sometimes it can be so hard to get our heads around the fact that God loves his enemies. And more than that, he wants us to love our enemies. God's grace isn't just for Jonah. It's for Assyria. It's for Nineveh, the cruel city. For the sailors on the ship. How could God love the Ninevites? And we, re- we can sometimes regularly run from the call of God to show grace, just like Jonah, because it shatters our prejudice and it challenges our self-justification. Jonah knows that the city of Nineveh is a scary place. It's a dangerous place. It's full of cruelty, but he doesn't disobey God because he's scared. He disobeys him because he has decided that Nineveh doesn't deserve grace. In running, Jonah has decided to cut off an avenue of grace for a whole city, a whole people group. And despite Jonah himself constantly being shown grace by God, he sets himself up as judge and jury, boxing the world into people who don't deserve grace and people who do. But the grace of Jesus Christ is for all people, for our enemies, for our friends, for our family For the strangers on the street. For those who we spend our weeks with at work. We need to take care to ask when we are running from God's command. When are we doing this? When are we not going to Nineveh? Not going to the people who might be different? Where in our lives are we going against the prompting of the Holy Spirit to offer grace? Running in the opposite direction. Who are the people we need to extend the hand of grace to? the people we need to take out of the box, marked undeserving. Because sometimes we think we can't offer grace to people that are so different to us. That's what Jonah thinks. He thinks, how could I offer grace to Nineveh, a city that is so different to the nation of Israel? But God wants each of us to be beacons of his grace to anyone and everyone who needs it. Otherwise, we only end up offering grace to people in church. Or to people in our small friendship group. Or to people who have a similar story to us or similar political views to us. And Jonah probably thought the same. He probably thought, I'm not the best to go to Nineveh. There must be someone more qualified to go to Nineveh. I spent my whole life in Israel falsely prophesying to the king. I can't, I'm not the right person to go to Nineveh. Surely someone speaks Assyrian better than me. Maybe it's someone who knows the customs better than me. Maybe someone who looks a bit more Ninavon. And, you know, we run an alpha course in prison, in Feltham Young Offenders and in Bronzeville Women. But I often think when we're in Feltham, um, we use the alpha videos, the same alpha that Robert and Giles were talking about, this course to explore the meaning of life. And we use these videos, which often have Nikki and Pippa Gumble, who run a church in Kensington, And they speak on the videos about all different topics of life. They're very much from Kensington. And sometimes I think, how are these guys going to go down in Feltham Young Offenders prison? Nikki and Pippa have lived very different lives to lots of the guys who come on Alpha. And there's this one episode that I constantly dread putting on. And actually, I used to dread putting on, thinking, this is not going to land well in the prison, it's the episode where Nikki and Pippa are in their lovely kitchen in Kensington and they're talking about grace, but they're telling the story around their beautiful island, talking about how they met at Francoise's in the Sloan Square <laughs> whilst cutting asparagus. <laughs> and I always think this is so at odds with these people in Felton Young Offenders. And I'm the one feeling kind of like, oh, maybe we shouldn't be... Doing this, this, maybe this isn't working. But without fail, the lads respond so well, even though they're from a totally different background, have totally different stories. In fact, one week we opened the group discussion saying, you know, did anything jump out to anyone? And one guy goes, the asparagus, you know? <laughs> we went, oh. He goes, yeah, I love asparagus. <laughs> Praise Jesus. The problem is, it's, we think that it's about who we are, but actually it's about the message we carry. And Nikki and Pippa have the same message that we have, the same truth, the same grace, the same gospel of Jesus Christ that changes lives. I tell you, it didn't matter that they're from different backgrounds. All that matters is that they're beacons of grace. The good news is we never have to run from God. We don't have to second guess his call to us to be beacons of grace because he He has plans that are to prosper us and not to harm us. And we can be people who are beacons of grace to every single person. We can run to people and places like Nineveh and be confident that God's grace is sufficient for us. So Jonah firstly runs, but then he rages. Jonah rages again because he doesn't understand grace. Jonah thinks that sin is about the amount rather than the effect. He thinks it's about the amount rather than the effect. As though sin and brokenness and all the bad stuff in our lives is like filling up a tank. And once you reach the top, it's over. You've got too much bad stuff in your life. Your quota is full. And Jonah thinks, yeah, sure, I've, I've done things wrong. But I'm not like the Ninevites, those Ninevites with their full quotas. I've got a bit of buffer room, a bit of space to do a few more bad things. That's what Jaina thinks, as though it's about the amount that we have rather than the effect that it separates us from God. And don't we so often do that? Sure, I've done things wrong, but I'm not. Insert the family member, the friend, the group, the enemy. Sure, I've done things wrong, but I'm not a Ninevite. When we think our sin is about an amount, we will always try to compare our quota with other people. We'll always be saying, well, I'm not as bad as them. Oh, maybe I should be a bit better like them. It's exhausting. And it means that sometimes our response to God's grace will be that we're offended, that he would even offer it to certain people, as Jonah is. Because we'll say their quota was full of bad stuff. They are undeserving. And whenever we see someone who we deem to have filled their quota We will respond, as Jonah does, with rage when they're offered grace. I remember a few years ago, quite a few years ago now, my younger brother, my parents finding out that he had been taking Ubers all around London and just charging it to their card. So he'd been taking three a day and had amassed about 700 pounds of Uber charges. And my parents have found out. And like any good sibling, I thought, yes. Here we go. Time for a good telling off. And I thought, he needs to be made to repay that amount. He needs repercussions. But my parents showed him grace. And I was a little indignant. I remember thinking, well, he's never going to learn. Surely he's reached his quota by now, as though I'd never reach mine. But the truth is, the only person that suffers when we rage, when grace is shown, is ourselves. Just like like Jonah, raging outside the city, outside the party, outside the walls, alone. Because God loves to show grace. God loves Nineveh. He really loves Nineveh. He loves this city. He loves this nation. He loves the unholy. He loves the unlovely. He loves them and Jonah's reaction to God's grace is to run and rage and that's what makes him such an unexpected hero. Throughout the story he acts like the two brothers in the story that Jesus tells about the prodigal son. At first he's like the younger brother running his own way wanting to do his own thing and then later in the story he's the older brother raging at the father for having shown forgiveness and grace. Jonah's story is fascinating precisely because he is so unexpected. How can someone so seemingly mistaken be used to bring about one of the greatest revivals this world has ever seen? In eight words. How can the prophet of God miss grace? And God is trying to show Jonah and wants to constantly call us to a place of knowing that grace. We don't need to run from showing people grace. We don't need to rage When other people are shown grace. We need to receive grace. God longs for Jonah to receive. Receive the grace that he has been shown. To know how much God has given grace to him. How much he's already had in a fish and a plant. Through Jonah, God is encouraging us to receive. The sad ending is when Jonah remains outside and there's this cliffhanger. As we wonder if Jonah ever really got. That God longs to be in relationship with every single person he created. The story is meant to act as a mirror to us. And the questions are posed to us. That are raised in the narrative and by Jonah's actions. We are Jonah. Surprise. We're the ones who are getting it wrong. Prone to run off in the other direction. Prone to rage at God when we deem people undeserving of grace. I know at times in my life I have been a big Jonah. The story acts like a mirror, and just like a mirror, the closer you get to it, the more you see. The blackheads, the flaws, all that. I know that's only me, because none of you have imperfect skin. Oh, it's just beautiful, <laughs> lovely skin. But the closer I get, the more I see. And this story is like that mirror getting, and the closer we get, the more we'll see the reality of our, our state Our propensity to just slip into running from God's call or raging at him when he offers grace. But God responds to Nineveh, he responds to Jonah, and he responds to us in the same way. He is slow to anger, abounding in love. He gives grace. Because ultimately, the story of Jonah is a story of grace. For Jonah, the sailors, for Nineveh, brash, unmerited grace the great mystery of grace and the antidote when we run or when we rage is to receive grace is to receive afresh to come again to the foot of the cross to know we can do nothing to get to god but he has done everything to get to us and he will keep chasing us down with his unrelenting grace We have to keep coming back to the unsearchable riches of God's grace and mercy. Remember when you first heard? Remember when you first heard that you were forgiven, that God loved you, that you didn't need to do anything. There was nothing to pay. Maybe that was 50 years ago. Maybe it was 10 years ago. Maybe it's this moment now. That joy of discovering God loves you. He died for you freely. And there's nothing to give. That grace. We went away recently on our church camp called Focus. Who went to Focus? Yes. It was incredible. A beautiful time. Had a blast. I met with the living God. That's not something to be sniffed at. I met loads of people at church who I hadn't met before. Loved it. It was an awesome time. But the biggest highlight for me came on the last day. Lewis was driving me and James home. Lewis is the other ordinand. And he was driving us back from focus. And so James and I were sat in the big top, in the big tent, keeping an eye on Lewis, who was sat a bit further over there, making sure that we knew when he was leaving so that we could get in the car with him and go with him. But before the big top finished, Lewis got up and legged it out the big top. And we were like, where's he going? He's going to be driving us home. So James and I hurried off to try and follow him, to try and catch up with him. And see where he was going. And we tried calling after him. We tried running after him. But it turns out that Lewis is lightning quick. And we saw him stop at a bratwurst stall. Turns out, Lewis is like a cheetah when he wants a bratwurst. And basically, he was sprinting to get the last sausage of focus. And eventually, we caught up with him. And that by the time we would got there, because he was so fast, there was actually quite a large queue. And I have to admit that we we did, and I confess in front of brothers and sisters today, we pushed in front, to the front of the queue, to where Lewis was. It's not okay. I know I received that tut. And it's not okay, and I'm not preaching that as a lifestyle. But we we stepped in front of my friend Susie so that we were at the same place as Lewis. And my friend Susie, uh, we turned and chatted to her, and she said she was desperately wanting to try one of these cheese breakfasts. I mean, this new thing, a breakfast with cheese in the middle. And I got to the front of the queue, and I thought, yeah, that sounds good. So I said, I'd love a cheese breakfast, please. And the guy on the stall loudly proclaimed to the whole queue, wow, you're our last cheese breakfast. And I thought, oh, no, I have a moral decision to make here. And so I said in a really sad voice, she should have the cheese one. I'll have a plain one, a boring plain one. And then the lady who was next to the man who had announced it on the stall said, wow, this guy's so kind. He gets a free sausage. And I was like, not only had I pushed in front of the queue, nearly stolen a sausage, but I had been given a free sausage. Focus highlight. Doesn't get better. And I know that's a silly story. But do you remember those stories where you were just taken aback? Surprised by something you just didn't deserve. Surprised by grace that was just given, something given so freely. We need to daily remember that free gift, that joy, that unexpected nature of grace. So that we can join in with the psalmist who says in Psalm 51, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Take a minute every day this week to meditate on God's free gift of grace. Because the sad thing is, if, if we run away from God's call or we rage at his ways, we can miss the joy of life as a Christian. If we don't get grace, we can end up like Jonah, a shadow of what he could or should be, sat in the sun raging, alone, outside the party. And God never wants anyone to miss out on the party. God wants us to enjoy the grace that he has given, to revel in it so that we can offer it to others. The antidote to running from God and raging at God is receiving grace afresh because grace transforms us into Christians so that we begin to look like Jesus Christ, not just people who are nice or immoral or religious or trying hard to do things right, but people who are changed from the inside out by the grace of God shown in Jesus on the cross. Grace frees us from comparison. It frees us from tallying up our sin or working out the cost of each sin because God forgave you. And more than that, he loves you. He loves you. And do you know why he loves you? Because he loves you. Because he loves you. And there's nothing you can do about it. When my brother had racked up 700 pounds of Uber debt, Josh said to me, it was an Uber sin. Very good, very good. Very good. And my parents had discovered this. I thought the answer was to make him pay in installments or have some kind of financial credit plan. But that's the law. That's what the older brother wants. That's what Jonah would have wanted. It's not what God does. And it's not what actually happened. My brother actually, just a few days ago, told me what actually happened when I asked him permission to tell the story of him raising in the debt of Eva. And he said, do you know what actually happened? So I didn't know. He said, that our parents had discovered this debt, and as my brother was about to head out again and see some friends at the pub, no doubt by Uber, <laughs> my parents sat my brother down, and they said, "You know what? We know about the money that you've been charging to Dad's phone, to Dad's card. We know that you've been recklessly charging money. We know that. We know that about you, but we forgive you, and we're going to pay the costs. Now that's mercy. But my dad then took out 20 pounds from his pocket and said." Not only do we forgive you, but we love you. And we want you to have this money to go and spend at the pub with your friends. Because we want you to know what grace is. That's grace. My brother has since met Jesus. It wasn't in that moment that he fell on his face and said, yes, that is grace. I need Jesus. But it was a sweet taste that he had had a foretaste that he then eventually met Jesus and tasted that grace. And I'm so thankful that God, and through Jesus, he would give grace so freely. I'm so thankful I wasn't in charge of that conversation. (laughs) My brother is now someone who I regularly look to and learn from about how to hunger for the grace of Jesus. How to look to Jesus daily. And what my parents did is a small picture of what the Father does to each of us today. Whatever debt you've accumulated... Whatever thing you feel shame or guilt over, the father says, I forgive you. And Jesus has taken the punishment that was due. It's time to live in a freed relationship by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the truth is, Jonah is a wholly unexpected hero. Because as with all heroes of the Bible, it is not about the greatness of his actions, but about the greatness of his God. And that's true for us as we start this term, as we head back to work, as our weeks start to fill up again. Let's be people who run to offer grace to anyone and everyone, friend or foe, to be beacons of grace. Let's be people who rejoice instead of raging when we see and hear the sound of grace in other people's lives. Because God has offered grace to everyone in this world. And God who has been pursuing his people since the fall in the garden. A God who has won each of us for himself on the cross, paying the price for our sin. A God who is longing for us to come close, to enjoy the sweetness of grace. A God who longs for us to declare, as Hebrews 4 does, that we will boldly approach the throne of grace with confidence. So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So that we may be a people who don't run and rage at God's grace, but instead marvel at the majesty of a God who allows you and me to receive his grace. Amen. Shall we stand together? And I'd love to pray. We're going to respond by going into a time of communion. but I just want to make this moment a moment where we just offer ourselves afresh to Jesus at the start of this term, where we long to remember that first love, that first moment of joy, of the grace of our salvation through Jesus Christ. So I'm going to pray a prayer. You might want to put your hands out, whatever you feel comfortable, just focus in on Jesus, on the cross, whatever helps you. Lord Jesus, thank you that you love us. Thank you that your arms are open wide on the cross and grace takes us back. You always take us back, Jesus. You never turn us away. And I pray that by your spirit, you would reveal in us a revelation of your grace. That we would run to those who need to hear it. That we would rejoice when people receive it. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, and show us those people.
1: Tom, Tom said we're going to go into the time of communion now. So let's just just hold uh, this attitude of worship, and, and communion is, is is a picture of of. So many things, but one of those is is Jesus' blood poured out and his body broken for us on the cross. And no one, none of us deserve what he gave. None of us deserve this meal, but it's a wonderful gift to us. And let's expect to encounter him as we receive the bread and the wine. Let's expect him to minister to us through the bread and the wine and bring us life. So let's, um, and the youth are joining us in the back as well now, which is great to take communion together. So let's say together, the Lord is here, his spirit is with us. Lift up your hearts, we lift them to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God, It is right to give thanks and praise. Father, we give you thanks and praise through your son Jesus Christ, your living word, through whom you have created all things and through whom we live and move and have our being. Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, may these gifts of wine and bread be to us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, who in the same night that he was betrayed took bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, and he gave you thanks, and he gave it to them, saying, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So together we declare that great is the mystery of faith. Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. Would you like to be seated and we will pray together the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. Amen. So if the servers could come forward uh, to help, and um, to, just to remind you, the alcoholic wine is in the silver cups the non-alcoholic wine is in the glasses and there are gluten-free wafers available today we are going to be receiving uh, actual bread not wafers so um, i encourage you to eat the bread and to drink the wine we're not we're not dipping them in today so eat the bread drink the wine uh, that would be great um, and uh, as always any christian of any denomination is very welcome to join us in communion today So draw near with faith, receive the body of our Lord Jesus Christ which was broken for you and his blood which was shed for you. Eat and drink in remembrance that Christ died for each one of you here and feed on him in your hearts by faith and with thanksgiving. Amen.
2: darkness the of... back